You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Well, good morning again. I hope you guys are good and uh, excited about today and excited about the opportunity to worship Jesus and also hear his word today. Um, We're going to jump in there in just a second into Matthew chapter 23 and Isaiah chapter 29 if you have your Bibles. But I do want to mention real quick that today is kicking off our service week also. Um, That's another thing that that one-on-one offering is going towards is providing the supplies and things we need to do our service week, which is where all of our connect groups are going out into the community this week at some point in time to minister to people to reach out to them and to share the love of God with them. And so if you will be praying for this week and what um, people are going to be doing and that people would see that behind the, the, the service that we're doing is a heart for them to see the love of Christ and that people would come to know him um, as we share the love of Christ with them. And so um, if you aren't a part of that, you can still be a part of that. If you want to sign up at our next steps table, if you're not in a connect group, we'd love to get you hooked up with a group that you can go out and serve with this week. So I hope everybody will take advantage of that and be able to be a part of that. Um, So anyway, we're doing that. And now we're getting into Isaiah chapter 29. I want to read verse 13 to you. And then in just a moment, we'll get over into Matthew chapter uh, 23. Isaiah 29, 13. It says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. And in Matthew chapter 23, if you want to turn there real quick, the very first verse there, verse thir- or the first verse we're going to read is verse 13. It says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Well, after those two verses, we probably should pray, right? Um, it's kind of a heavy message in a way today, but also I hope that it'll be encouraging to you because of the amount of grace that God gives us as we see truth about ourselves and we realize that we still have room to grow today. I, I pray that that happens, but also pray that we remember how big God's grace is and it's his grace that works in us um, to, uh, to sustain us and to help us grow. Now, I say all that to say, put on your seatbelt because this... <laughs> This uh, section is pretty tense, right? And uh, it can be a little bit so, but it's a challenge, but it's a good challenge. And it's a challenge that we all need to hear and need to embrace, okay? So let's pray. God, thank you for the challenge you give us in your, in your word. Thank you, God, that we can come to, uh, to you. And God, even in our imperfections, our flaws, our struggles, our issues, God, you made a way for us to come to you, and that's through Jesus. And God, we thank you that that, that you, you made a way to forgive our sins, that you made a way to transform us into your image through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. So we ask that you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When uh, every year, Susan and I, my wife, around November, we try to take a trip together. It's our anniversary is in November, November 27th. And so we like to try to take a trip together and uh, go do something fun, uh, maybe for two or three, four days, um, and just have a time to get away. 
Um, sometimes we stay fairly close to home. Sometimes we go um, a long ways off. And, and to be honest, sometimes the ones that are the most fun are the ones where we can kind of get away and, and be by ourselves. And it's kind of the opposite of the sitcom, the old sitcom Cheers, where the song says, you know, go where everybody knows your name. Um, sometimes don't you just kind of want to go somewhere where nobody knows your name? I mean, isn't it just nice? I mean, if we're honest, um, sometimes it's just nice to not be known and uh, to just be able to get away and enjoy some time. Uh, and, and here's one of the reasons I feel like that's true. I feel like for all of us, when we're around people who know us um, or are acquainted with us, no matter who you are, and we can say this isn't true, but to some degree it's true of all of us, that we feel some sense of pressure to be something or to be someone, to be a certain thing. And I know that I feel this, and I don't believe that I'm alone in this, in that you feel expectations of other people on you. And one of the great things about uh, going on these trips is you kind of get away from that. You can kind of let down the guard because every one of us in some way, we have a little bit of a guard up. Um, in some way, we kind of build walls around us to protect us from other people, some to more of an extent than others. This past year, Susan and I went on a, a cruise and uh, we were able to get away and, and have a great time. And, and I was there and you know, nobody knew us. It was, kind of, it was kind of cool, we could just kind of hang out together. Nobody knew who we were. And so um, we're sitting there at the table one night at, at dinner and they start one of these conga lines, right? And so they come by, you know, dun, 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 doing dun, dun, that, that kind of thing. And, and so they come by and I'm like, you know what, nobody knows me. <laughs> and so I'm like, let me lead this thing. And so I jump up and I start, I took my shirt off and started waving it around my head. Now see, here's how I know if you really know me, because you know that that did not happen if you really know me. In fact, even though nobody knew me there, I was sitting there and I, I was telling Susan, I was like, if they grab me to be a part of this thing, I'm, I'm hitting somebody. I, I just, I'm not going to get up and do this. And uh, so it was one of those things where um, even though nobody knew me, I just wasn't going to take that step, right? I just, I'm just, that's just not who I am. I quit dancing when I quit drinking and there wasn't enough liquor on that boat to get me to jump up and be a part of that line. <laughs> and so I just was not having a part of it. But I say that to set it up and to say this, that for all of us, there's times when we, we tend to put up a front. We tend to put up a wall. We tend to put up a facade. And for some of us, that describes almost our entire church experience. And it describes it in two ways for us. One is how people have been to us, where they have put up a facade of somebody that they aren't, but that they act or pretend to be when they're at church or when they're doing religious activities. Another one is that many of us have put that facade up. Um, in the South, everybody's a Christian, right? Um, if you go to church every now and then, um, you're a Christian. And so we show up and we want to be that good person. So we tend to put up a facade. We tend to put up walls. We tend to act like we are something maybe that we aren't because it's just what's expected of us. And that's what I believe this whole section of scripture in Matthew 23 is about, as well as the verse in, in Isaiah chapter 29. If you look at this whole scope of scripture, the whole text that we've read, both of them, what you get to is basically one word that uh, you could use that, that is clearly defined really by each of these texts, and that's the word hypocrite. Jesus, in those seven woes, he uses the word hypocrite in almost all of them. And so the word hypocrite was a word that came from um, 
Back in the old days, right, that's what we always say, um, they would use the word hypocrite as to define somebody who was an actor who played more than one role. And so a hypocrite today, we think about that, is someone who, who, who plays more than one role. They're not necessarily who they seem to be, and so we say they're a hypocrite. Um, and so that's one of the things that we see, and it's defined, I believe, in Isaiah 29 when it comes to our life with God. It says in verse 13 of Isaiah 29, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, what he's saying is these people talk a good game, but their hearts aren't really for me. Their lives wouldn't indicate that they truly love me. And here's the thing, and this kind of hits us in the gut to a degree, because here's the reality, that's where a lot of us live. That's where a lot of us are, is our lips proclaim God, our lips say we love you God, um, but our actions and our attitudes wouldn't reflect that. The condition of our heart and the attitude of our heart would not reflect that. And so this could be true as Isaiah is prophesying, he's speaking the word of the Lord to the Jewish people. You could say that that's true of them, but also many times it's true of us that our mouths proclaim him, that we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. That basically what our worship of him becomes, if you look at the second part of verse 13, is it becomes merely human rules that we've been taught. And so we see what people do who go to church. We see what people do who are Christians and we just adopt that as normal Christianity. When what we see in our culture today as cultural Christianity is really anything but the Christianity that Jesus left us with. Because Jesus, is, Jesus called us to follow him, not for an hour a week, not for um, a Bible study a week, but for the all, whole of our lives. He called us to follow him all the time. To be a Christian, not just in name, not just on Sunday morning, but all the time. And so here's the challenge today is, is that true of us? Is that true of us? Because I believe this, I believe God truly hates hypocrisy. I believe he hates it. And here's the reality for us guys, none of us are truly authentic in every area of our life. We all hold something back, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But the reality for us is this, that if we don't live in this hypocrisy, um, if we'll live in authenticity, authenticity will destroy hypocrisy. If we'll just get to a point where we're real about who we are, it's why I love um, to be around people who, who aren't Christians. It's because they don't really worry about it as much as we do. It's almost like they seem to be in a way freer to just be themselves than we are because they don't feel like they've got to be any certain thing. And so we've got to examine ourselves and say, am I truly living out um, of Christ's love for me and in faith in Christ, or is my life really and truthfully a lie? Where is it? Am I living in in, in the life that I claim and the Christianity that I claim, am I living it out? Or is it something that I'm just going through the motions when my heart's really not even close to God? I know for me growing up, that was a lot of what I saw. I didn't go to church as a child, but as I got older, I started going with my girlfriend who became my wife and, and I would see things and it would make me question, why do they go to church if this is who they really are? And there's some dangers to hypocrisy, and I believe this is why God hates it. I want to give you some of these real quickly. But the very first one that, that we see is that it makes people become very cynical. People become cynical of God. They become cynical of Christ. They become cynical of Christians. 
And some of you in here today, you are cynical about God, not because of God or because of Jesus, but because of the people who claim to follow him, right? And so we become cynical where we, we don't really um, buy into the whole Jesus thing because of what we've seen in other people's lives. And I'm not telling you that we are called to be, that we can be perfect, but what I am telling you is we can be growing in Christ's likeness. And so when you look at this, I want you to think about that. Am I someone who's leading people closer to Jesus and the reality of who he is, or would my lifestyle and my words not match to the point that I become, people would become more cynical of Jesus than they would attracted to him? The second one that I see in this is people become disillusioned. And these two are closely related. But a lot of times people will come disillusioned because they look at our lives and they say, if that's all there is to Christianity, then why do I want to have a part of it? And so they think that's all there is. They become disillusioned about the power of Christ, which leads to the third one, which is doubt. They become disillusioned about, if, is Jesus really still able to change hearts, change lives, change people? Does he still break chains of addiction? Does he still um, heal? Does he still uh, change and, and restore marriages? Does he still work in people's lives? And so many times people look at us and they don't see the reality of God and so they begin to doubt the power of God and what God can do. Another one that's been very real in my life is hurt. This, it leads to hurt. Hypocrisy leads to hurt. Why does it lead to hurt? Because we put our trust in people who end up letting us down. And I've seen this happen in my own life. In fact, when I started sort of being pulled towards Christ um, when I was about a junior in high school, um, being sort of, I felt this sort of tug towards God. I had a youth pastor who came into my life um, as I was going to church with my, my future wife. Um, and, and I really began to grow close to this guy. And I thought that he was the legitimate deal. I thought, man, this guy has, is really leading us in the right way and he's the real deal. And so I got really close to him, started trusting him a lot. Um, got to a point where, you know, uh, me and a couple of my buddies were hanging out with him all the time, doing all these fun things together. We went on a ski trip together. It was about negative five degrees on the mountain we were skiing. And this was a youth ski trip. Um, and it, so it's freezing cold. Um, had one dude that like got frostbite on his toes on this trip. It was so cold. And uh, so uh, as we went through uh, the, the day, it was really cold. So a buddy of mine and I, we decided we would go into this like bar and grill kind of place to get warm. And as we walk into the bar and grill, we see our youth pastor basically knocking back shots at the bar. Shocker, right? And it's like, what in the world is going on? And it slowly began to unravel and we slowly began to see that this person was not who they had pretended to be. In fact, everything we believed about them was a lie. And it hurt. And honestly, it turned me away from God for a long time. Because of that hypocrisy, I, I, it made me question, which is the next one, it made me begin to question leadership and other Christians. It made me doubt them. It made me not put trust in them. And that's what hypocrisy does. It's one of the reasons, like, listen, listen, I know in my position, many people put me on a pedestal. I ask you not to do that quite often because I know me, I know my heart, I know who I am, and the reality of it is, I don't wanna hurt you or let you down. 
It's one of the reasons I try to be as authentic as I can up here and I share a lot of my life with you is because I want you to know that I'm not somebody who stands up here and is perfect. I'm not somebody who stands up here and has it all together. I'm not somebody that you need to put your faith in. Your faith needs to be in Jesus, not in me. I'm not somebody that you need to, to, to lean on from the standpoint of your faith is built on me because I know who I am. I know my imperfections and I try to share them because I don't want to let anyone down. I don't want you to, to have um, a crisis of faith because of me. And so the reality of it is, guys, none of us are perfect. That's not what this message is about. It's about being authentic. It's about being real. Church ought to be the one place we can come in and be the most real in our life. It ought to be the one place we can walk into. And if things aren't good, we don't just put on a smile and say, hey, I got it all together. It ought to be a place that we can let down our guard and say, you know what, I'm finally with family. I'm finally with family. But because of the hypocrisy in the church, so many times we've grown to mistrust authority. We've grown to mistrust our leadership. Another one is that it causes us to have an uphill battle with people seeing the real identity of Jesus. It causes it to be very difficult for us to be able to reveal to them who Christ is or for the Holy Spirit to show them the beauty of Jesus because there is so much beauty when we see Christ and see who he is. But the reality is it becomes very difficult for people to see that when what they've seen is not the truth and what they've built their faith on is a lie. And so we see this. We see the dangers of hypocrisy. The last one um, is that when we, we live this way, when hypocrisy is a part of our lives, um, then what we begin to do is we begin to live it out ourselves in a way that's not true. We just adopt it for ourselves and say, well, this must be it. So we begin to live that way and live out the lie ourselves. And listen, I don't wanna preach this message to just to, to throw guilt on anyone. I don't want to preach this message to throw condemnation on anyone. I don't want to preach this message to make you mad. I want to preach this message so you shut down and don't listen to the rest of the message. I want to preach this message because I want you to enjoy the fullness of a relationship with Jesus and not settle for some d demonic um, a substitute, which is a lie, Amen. which is what Satan has sold us for too long is some substitute that is religion that leaves us religiously bound rather than free in Jesus Christ. Because it leads us to this place where we get so bound up following the rules that we forget about the relationship with him. My prayer is that we'd always be a church that point people to Christ, point people to a relationship with him, not just point them to a bunch of rules and things that they've got to do to try to clean up their own life. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. If you look at the, the scripture there in Matthew 23, Jesus gives seven woes, seven woes or laments. They're, they're basically his statements over the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the leaders of the Jewish people. They would have been sort of like pastors in that day. They were religious leaders in that day. And so Jesus gives these seven woes over them. When I was studying for this, what I found out was that a lot of times these laments or these woes were used at funerals. 
And so they would, they would have these laments that they would say about the person who had passed. There's also seven of these. And if you study scripture, you see that the number seven is a number of completion. A lot of times when you see the number seven, there is symbolism to it. I don't want to make too much of this, but it says if Jesus is showing the completeness of the spiritual death of these Pharisees. And if we look at these things and use them even as a test for our own heart, what we're able to begin to see is that um, they are good questions or, or questions can be formed from them that really ask us where our own heart is. They ask us um, and challenge us to examine our own heart and where we are with Christ. And so that's what I want to do for the rest of the time that we have is I want us to look at these seven woes. I want us to go through these things that Jesus proclaimed to the Pharisees. And I want us to ask ourselves the question, is this true of my life? Because listen, if it's true of my life, it doesn't mean that you need to walk out, condemn what it means is we need to repent of it, turn from it so that we can have the life that Jesus wants us to have. All right, so the first one, verse 13, it says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. When we look at this, and then the question that jumps out at me in this is, are we being an obstacle or a catalyst to people coming to know Christ? Because what Jesus is saying is, listen, you aren't bringing people into the kingdom. You're shutting the door in their face because what you're introducing them to is your list of rules and your system. You're not introducing them to a faith in God. And it really challenged me to think, what are we really bringing people to as a church, but also as an individual? What am I bringing people to? Am I bringing them to a relationship with Jesus? Or am I just bringing them into some system, some, some way of, of just you know, going and getting by? Is it just a church with a lot of people so that you can come in unnoticed and leave unnoticed? Or is it a place where the Holy Spirit is working? Because this is the reality of it for us. We need to be, must be, have got to be a place where the Holy Spirit is working in the heart of people or else we're wasting our time and I'm wasting my breath. We've got to be a place where we're a catalyst of introducing people to a relationship with Christ, not just some system, not just some other way of doing life. See, listen, so many times in the church world, what we end up doing is we introduce people or we give people everything but the one thing that can change them. We give them all this stuff. We become the Walmart church where we have everything for everybody. And so we just offer all this stuff thinking if we can meet their need, maybe they won't go somewhere else. But the reality of it is there's one message and it's the gospel that Jesus came and died for us, gave his life for us, that he died for our sin, that he took the wrath of God for our sin, that he made us right with God, that he overcame sin and death when he came out of the tomb three days after he was killed, and that he has now given us peace with God. That's the only message that transforms lives. And it's the Holy Spirit working through that message and working in the hearts of people that still changes people today. I have people all the time will ask me, like, what's the secret at Connection? What are y'all doing? Like, why is it growing? Why aren't people getting saved? Why aren't people getting baptized? I'm like, because we have a secret sauce. <laughs> and if you'll drink it. No, it's because of the gospel message. That's why God does the same stuff in Vidalia and in Millen that he's doing in Statesboro. It's because it's about Jesus. It's about him. It's about his message and his heart. 
It's not about who stands on the stage. It's not about who plays the instruments. It's not about lights and it's not about all of this other stuff. It is about a message of hope that transforms people from the inside out. That's what this is all about. So we we need to be a catalyst, not an obstacle to leading people to a relationship with Jesus. Verse 15 says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. <laughs> Jesus has got getting down with it now, isn't he? Uh, you notice, it's got an exclamation mark. He wasn't like, now do you hypocrites. He's like yelling. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. <laughs> That's crazy, because we picture Jesus like with the lamb, you know, like snuggled up. (laughs) And then he's like, you're making him twice as much a son of hell. And so anyway, the reality of this and what I want you to see and the question I want you to ask yourself and that we need to ask ourselves as a church is are we leading people to rules or a relationship? Because that's what Jesus is challenging them with. He's saying, it's great, you're traveling land and sea and you're going and you're finding these people and you're converting them to your faith, but it is your faith, it is your system, it is your way of living and your rules. It's not about coming to a relationship with God. And so he's literally telling them what you're converting them to is not helping them. In fact, they're carrying your system even further than you carry your system. And so what ends up happening is they end up worse off than you are. And so we have to ask ourselves and challenge ourselves that the question of, are we leading the people to a list of rules? Are we leading them to a relationship? Because this is what I can guarantee you. Most of you, when you came to know Christ, you were introduced to a set of rules. You were introduced to a set of rules to follow. So many times in church, we tell people, come as you are, and then as soon as they come as they are, we tell them that's not good enough anymore. And the reality of it is, it's okay to not be okay, it's just not okay to stay that way. So if you're here and you have issues, and you do, because we all do, it's okay. But remember, you're in a relationship with a God who changes you from the inside out. You're in a relationship with a God who loves you so much that he will meet you the way you are, but he will not leave you that way. Because he changes us. He works in us when we're in a relationship with him. So many of us spend our life trying to pick the bad fruit off of our lives rather than living in a life-changing relationship with Christ. I want to encourage you today that through Jesus, you have a relationship with Christ. If you put your faith in him and he is the Lord of your life, you have a relationship with God. That means you can go to God. You can talk to God. God can speak to you. It means that you have peace with God. There's no condemnation on your life because Jesus took that for you. You have peace with him now. And so we can have this relationship because of what Jesus did for us, a relationship that was impossible before Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later but now we can have it and that's what we need to be bringing people to is a relationship with Christ not a list of do's and don'ts not a list of you have to's but a list of you get to's because you get to be in a relationship with Jesus verse 16 woe to you blind gods you say if anyone swears by the temple it means nothing But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? 
You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple or swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. Anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. That's a lot of words. But what Jesus is basically saying is you're, you're making loopholes to get out of some of the oaths or some of the promises that you've made. And so they're, they're literally doing what in verse 20 or verse three of chapter 23 says that they do not do what they or do not do what they do for they do not practice what they preach. And so he's basically saying, listen, this is what they're doing is they're finding ways around doing what they're telling you to do. They're finding ways around that. And the question that I had to ask myself out of that is, or do we have the character to back up our claim of Christ? Do we have the character to back up our claim of Christ? Like, does our life reflect that Jesus is in us? Because we tell people that we have a relationship with God. We tell people that God lives in us, that Jesus lives in us. We tell people that the Holy Spirit lives in us and he's working in us. Does our life indicate that? Because I'll tell you this, if we don't have character and we don't have integrity and we don't live a life that when we say something, we mean it and that our word is our bond, then we have nothing. Without character and without integrity, we have nothing. And so we've got to be a people that Jesus is shaping in such a way that our character and our integrity points to the reality of a God who's working on the inside of us. Remember, it doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that we're authentic. And it does mean that when we do screw it up, we have the character and the integrity to be willing to admit, I screwed that up. I made that mistake. I have to do that all the time with my own children. <laughs> Sorry I lost my temper, again. You know, and we, we have to be authentic about it and real about it and have the integrity and the character to, to, to show people that there is a difference. And the difference is Christ. Listen to this, the next one, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind gods, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. The question that I ask myself about this one is am I more concerned about people's perception of my piety or am I more concerned about people? Am I more concerned about people? Jesus is basically saying, listen, you're so worried about what people think about you. You're so worried about putting up a holy facade, a godly facade that you're tithing out of, you're giving 10% of everything down to your, your, your spice cabinet. He's saying you're giving 10% of all this stuff and he says that's great, that's good, you should do that. But the reality is you're neglecting the, form, the, the heavier matters. You're neglecting the more important matters, which is people, which is doing justice, which is loving mercy, which is walking in faithfulness with God. See, if we would do the two commandments that Jesus gave us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, our soul, our strength, 
and we'll love our neighbor as ourselves. we fulfill every other commandment. It is impossible not to fulfill the commandments that God has given us when we do those two commandments. But we get so caught up sometimes in, in people's, own, people's perception of our, our life that we forget it's about people. We make it about us rather than about others. And the reality is that Jesus came, the Bible says, to save sinners. So many Christians won't associate with someone who doesn't know Christ because they're afraid of what it's gonna reflect on them. So many people today won't step foot in our church, in a church in general, because they've been shunned by Christians all of their life. And I'm not telling you that you need to just go out and, and, and just live like the world. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you're in a relationship that you're in, being influenced away from Christ rather than influencing them to Christ, you need to get out of that relationship. It needs to be a relationship that you're the one influencing, not the one being influenced. But what I am telling you is this, we can't be so concerned about the perception of our godliness that we forget that this is about reaching people. And listen, this church was started for people that were not close to God. This church was started to reach people with issues, with struggles, with difficulties, with sin. And like I said before, it's okay if you're not okay. It's okay if something's going on in your life, but the reality of it is we don't have to stay that way. We need to be a people that brings folks closer to Jesus. The next verse there, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. I might have mentioned this to you before, I don't know, but how many of you like have a phobia of putting your hands in cold dish water? Like you just like cold dish water and you does not jive. Like I don't know what it is, but if you make it warm, it seems like it's not as nasty. But but I hate sticking my hands down in cold dish water. And you know, as as a parent, I've got three boys. They're old enough now that we're we're somewhat out of the bo- bottle stage. Thankfully, we're out of the sippy cup stage for the most part. Um, Susan has one every now and then, but for the most part, we're out of sippy cups. And uh, and and so anyway. We, we, uh, but I remember when we were in the bottle stage especially, and even with the sippy cups, there'd be times where um, one would get dropped in the back seat of my truck as we're going down the road. We would get out and forget it. It'd roll up underneath the seat of the truck only to be found several days later. If you have children, you know what that led to. For one thing, it meant that that bottle or that sippy cup was dirty on the outside. It meant that there was grass and dirt and it was nasty, sticky. I hate sticky stuff, right? It was just nasty, sticky on the outside. And then you take it in and you wash off the outside and you're like, okay, cool, well, that's gone. And then you open it. And if you're laughing, it's because you've either babysat or you have children. Because you open it and it's like this smell from hell comes at you that you don't, you don't even know why, that something could smell that bad, right? And, and then you're like, oh, I gotta get rid of that. And it goes, Poof. It's like, oh, right? 
It's just the most nasty smell that you can imagine. But the thing was, when I first did that, the first time that happened, I thought the outside was really nasty until I got to the inside. And the thing that I realize about us as people is that the inside is always dirtier than the outside. Typically, what people see of us is only the tip of the iceberg of what's going on internally. And that's what Jesus is telling them in this section, in these scriptures. Look, don't just clean up the outside because the real issue is on the inside. He's saying don't just be settled for getting the dirt and the grass off of it when the inside is nasty. He's saying you need to come to a relationship with God so that he can transform the inside, then the outside will take care of itself. And so he's basically trying to reverse it. And listen, we need to reverse it in our Christian culture in the South too. Because we have bought into this lie that if we clean up the outside, the inside will take care of itself when it's actually the opposite. If we'll let Jesus clean up the inside, then the outside's gonna be clean. Because it's from the overflow of the heart that our mouth speaks. It's from the overflow of our heart that all evil things come. It's from our heart that things come out of us that aren't pure and aren't clean. But when Jesus touches our heart and he begins to work in us, it begins to change the outside of us and the outside becomes clean. Verse 27 says this, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is basically telling this. Back in that day when they would get ready for the feast of Passover, it was one of their religious celebrations. When they would get ready for this feast, um, they would go through the town and they would whitewash with lime all of the tombs and the monuments that were on those, around those tombs. And the reason they would do this is because if anyone who was making the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover accidentally touched one of those tombs not recognizing what it was, then they became ceremonially unclean and it meant that they could not participate in Passover week festivities and worship. And so he's saying, you're just like those whitewashed tombs, Pharisees. It's you, 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 you look good on the outside. The monuments look great. They're cleaned up and they look really good. But on the inside, it's full of dead men's bones. And what he's saying is you guys look righteous on the outside, but basically you're still leading people to all kinds of ceremonial uncleanliness. You're not leading people closer to Jesus. In fact, the question that I would ask out of that is, are we leading people to be more like Christ or more like the world? Because the Pharisees were not, they weren't doing what God intended for them to do. They looked great on the outside, but inwardly, as it says in the one before, they were dirty, they were filthy. Inwardly, they were dead. Inwardly, they weren't leading people to life, they were leading people towards death. The last one. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the the prophets. 
Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Again, it's a lot of words, but what Jesus is saying is he's like, look, you, you build these monuments for the prophets and you say that if we had lived in the days of the prophets that God had sent before, we wouldn't have killed them like their forefathers had done. But Jesus is basically telling them, but the reality of it is for you, you're gonna kill the prophet. You're gonna kill Jesus himself, the one sent to save you. The question I have to ask myself in this is, am I rejecting or receiving Jesus? Am I rejecting or am I receiving Jesus in my life? Is there an area of my life I'm trying to stiff arm God and keep him out? Where is it that God's trying to press into my life and I won't allow it? I'm fighting him tooth and nail. Maybe for you it's your entire life. You've never given it to him to start with. You've never become a follower of Jesus. You might have been submerged in church culture like we talked about today, but the reality is you've never been in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The day you can do that. But understand this rejecting of Jesus, if we do nothing, we're still rejecting him. To do nothing is to still reject him. Because he calls us to move, he calls us to change, he calls us to growth, he calls us to follow. So to do nothing is still a rejection. Apathy is still a rejection. Oh well, he's just kind of a part of my life, you know. Give him a little bit of it here and there. There's no passion in our heart, there's no affection in our heart. And so, that's still rejecting Christ. Disobedience is a rejection of Jesus. There are areas of your life you're being disobedient. You know God's put his finger on something in your life and you say, I don't care. It's basically giving God the middle finger and going about your business. Are you receiving or are you rejecting him? That's the question, that's the question I wanna leave you with, is where are you in that? My prayer is that you would be receiving him, you'd be walking with him, you'd be following him. My prayer for myself is that I would follow him, I would walk with him, I would receive him, I wouldn't stiff harm him in some area of my life, which is so easy to do. The good news is that even when we've done that, even when we've struggled, even when we've had challenges, the good news is that God is patient and he comes to us and he continues to pursue us and he continues to give us opportunity after opportunity to turn from that way of life and turn to him, to quit rejecting him and receive him. And today we have that same opportunity. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe today is the day that you receive him once and for all, that he becomes the savior of your life. For others of you, it's the day that you need to come to a place where you say no more stiff arming, no more disobedience, no more rejecting. I'm gonna surrender my life to him. I'm gonna surrender this area of my life to him. I'm gonna quit running, I'm gonna quit fighting. God, you take it, you have it. Because here's the reality. Every one of us are in that place in some area of our life. And so this is what I wanna do today. I wanna pray for us. Before I pray, this is the question I wanna ask. If the Lord's speaking to your heart today, 
and you would say yes to Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, for the first time. I'm not talking about church culture. I'm not talking about rules. I'm talking about coming into a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God through Christ. And what I want you to do right now, I want you to stick your hand up. Just, just stick it up high and say, yeah, that's me. I need a relationship with God through Christ. Amen. Who else? Okay. We just like to pray with you guys. Listen, this is the beginning of a journey, not the end of one, and we want to pray with you and help you take your next steps. If you're here today and that's you, just raise your hand. There's still time for this. Listen, take this step. All right. My next one is this. I want to pray for you. If today you recognize there's an area of my life that I'm letting go, I'm, I'm giving this to God. I don't know what it is for you. What is it that's burdening you? What is it that God's put his finger on with you? He said, that needs to be surrendered to me. And I'm gonna push you, I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna nudge you to take that step today. Don't leave here without taking that step of faith and surrendering it. When you walk out of here, surrender it again. And tomorrow morning when you wake up, surrender it again and letting it go. But if I can pray for you today, for some area of your life that you say, I'm letting this go, I'm turning this over to God, then I'm gonna ask you to be very bold and brave and take a step of faith. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. And let's, let's, let's enact this out, amen. This is God, He's God has put his finger on something in your life and you say, you can clap if you want to. And you just say, I'm turning it over to him. And what an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. The burden, you do not have to carry that burden anymore. I'm learning this myself. That I, I tend to carry things I don't have to carry. I'm standing with you. Because I live in that place too. Well, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for each person who's standing thank you for those who are sitting, God. I thank you for each person here. Lord, I pray that as they surrender this to you, Lord, that they feel the weight of the world come off of their shoulders. That they would experience again the refreshing of your grace. They would experience again the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would blow through them like a mighty wind, like rushing water. He would cleanse them and make them whole and begin to integrate them and begin to put together what Satan's tried to destroy. Jesus, just work in them in a mighty way. Work in our hearts and our lives. God, embrace them. Even when they think they, they aren't lovable, let them experience your love. And draw them back to you. God, help us to live authentically. Not to put up fronts and airs, but to live true lives of holiness and righteousness. Not because of the rules we follow, but because of the relationship that we're in. As you transform us from the inside out. God, we love you and praise you for Jesus and for the life he gives. It's in his awesome name that we pray. Amen. Amen.